Hey guys, my name's James. Welcome to the Property Renovation Podcast. This week's episode is sponsored by makemymortgage.co.uk. They're a UK-based mortgage advice and brokering service that have a great reputation for getting people on the ladder, remortgaging, buy-to-lets, and much more. Go check them out by going to makemymortgage.co.uk forward slash podcast. Now let's get into today's show. Welcome to the Property Renovation Podcast. I'm your host, James Woodham. And I'm your co-host, Juliet. Juliet has a decade of architectural experience in the US. And James has completed over 250 home renovations in the UK. Together, James and I have over 35 years experience designing and building homes. This podcast was created to give you, the homeowner, the power and the knowledge to get your project done right, on time, and with quality workmanship. We've been going for just over a year now, and we have over 50 episodes for you to listen and absorb all the information from key experts in the industry. That's right. We've spoken to industry leaders, builders, architects, and the best part of what we do is hear from you, the homeowner, what went right and what went wrong. We really hope you like listening to this podcast. And if you do, please leave us a review. Reviews expose us to more listeners, which in turn means we can help more homeowners save money and avoid the chance of things going wrong. On this week's episode, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Ben Adam Smith. Now, he's the owner of houseplanninghelp.com. It's a website full of tons and tons of information. There's a course on there as well. But essentially, what it's about is um, house planning and planning uh, for your home. Um, There's uh, lots of considerations that you need to make. And uh, one of them is that if you are thinking about building your own house, um, then you need to find land. And uh, there's tons of information to help you do that uh, on his website. And um, he's got a podcast as well, tons and tons of information. Um, and uh, the most exciting part of uh, interviewing him was that he's actually uh, almost complete on finishing his his own home under the passive house scheme. Now, if you don't know what that is, um, passive house is all about building a home that's very, very energy efficient and costs virtually nothing to run. Um, there's lots of considerations you need to make about the position of the house, the position of the windows, uh, and where the sunlight comes in and also ventilation, constant ventilation coming through that home as well and keeping it at a comfortable temperature. Um, you can tell I, I already know a little bit about it, but uh, I started this episode knowing virtually nothing. Um, I was very, very interested in interviewing him. And uh, yeah, as I said, the most exciting part is that he's doing a project himself for his own family home. Um, and uh, he tells us a little bit about it and um, and how excited uh, he is to uh, finally moving into it as well. So I won't keep you any further. Um, enjoy the episode. And if you like it, please leave a review. Go to iTunes, leave us a review on there. Uh, the more reviews we get, the more we are seen and uh, the more people we can help. It's very simple. Uh, so thank you very much and um, enjoy. So today I've got Ben Smith on the show. Uh, he's from houseplanninghelp.com. And um, Ben, it's really nice to have you on the Property Renovation Podcast. How are you today? Very well. Yeah. Looking forward to this. Excellent. Excellent. It has been a long time coming, but I'm glad I've got you onto the show. So um, first, let's just start. Um, can you just give us a short introduction about yourself? 
Yeah, well, I suppose I'm slightly unusual. I don't have a construction background. I worked in the media for about 20 years and then had enough of that and thought, oh, let's reevaluate what else can I do, what do I want to do. And I realized that one of the passions that I developed was about the environment. So I thought that was quite broad. You know, what does that really mean? Can I narrow it down? And I also love building. So I thought that's got to be the direction that I go off in. I've always wanted to build a house. So let's see if I can develop something around that. And over the course of the last six years, I've just been learning all about construction, trying to find out best practice, really, and particularly in regards to new build. Excellent. Good. Best practice is always important. (laughs) (laughs) And it's Um, not always something that you can say, this is 100%, that's the best thing to do. It can be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, but from, so from the self-building sector, which is uh, primarily what you're focusing on, I'm guessing, um, has been uh, on the rise, I'd say, over the past few years. Um, Certainly the past decade. Um, yeah. I've seen like lots of programs popping up on TV, um, a lot of websites, a lot of um, home renovation uh, exhibitions that have been going around up and down the country about it. Um, but I was hoping that you could provide us with a bit more of an insight as to why that is, do you think? Well, I think there are a couple of things like anything construction related, it tends to do better when there's a boom going on. And I think that's what we've got Hmm. at the moment in the UK, perhaps in a lot of other places around the world. So that's the number one factor. But also, it's just always been desirable. Everyone's wanted to build their own house if they possibly could. I think the barrier is land. That is the number one thing that's stopping people. And in some ways, that's getting easier, particularly if you're prepared to compromise perhaps what you've got in mind. I think it's very, very rare that you're going to find that perfect piece of land, perfectly flat, all those views right next door to the town that you want, all of those sorts of things. That just doesn't really happen. But there is definitely a move afoot to try to get hold of more affordable land. And there's something called right to build, which has come into play. It's only in the last year or so where you can put your name down on this list and the local authorities, they have to find you a piece of land. These are the ones that are taking part. I think there are a couple, but not many that um, do not take part. They have to find you a piece of land within three years. So it may not be the piece of land that you want. As I say, you might have to compromise your vision slightly, but that's great news. And we did a recent podcast on a site called Graven Hill, which is the largest custom and self-build community there is in the UK, really laying out a blueprint for how it could be. But exciting, about 2,000 new homes. I've probably got that figure slightly off. It's maybe a little bit less than that. But you can imagine if they can get that working, it could be proper competition for the large-scale volume house builders. Yeah, That's another reason. And um, it's just very exciting. I think if you can go through this process like I have done, you're just going to really enjoy it so long as you don't hit anything like running out of money. I guess that could be quite scary. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think it's really, really exciting. I, I've seen the change and I think um, I'm more excited about the fact that homeowners are becoming more confident these days and like being prepared to go on such a journey as uh, doing a self-build because there's a lot of um, things you have to consider and we're going to talk a little bit more about that down the line. But um, it's yeah, it's exciting. The world, it's absolutely changing the construction industry. I think. 
Yeah, definitely. And it can only go one way, I think, because yeah. at the moment, there are something like 13,000 people building each year in the UK. That's a very small number when you think of the overall new houses that get built each year. So yeah, it can only go up. Crazy. Okay, so um, we're going to talk a bit more about your house in a minute because it's been made um, to a passive house standard, right? Hmm. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I've, I'm, a, I'm a bit new to this uh, passive house, so I think I'm, I would really love you to go in a lot more detail. But for the benefits of our listeners, could you explain um, what passive house standard is and how do you meet to it? What considerations do you need to make? If you can let us know that, please. Yeah, it's quite difficult to get your head around in a couple of sentences, but I will do my best. And I think that I came across it more as something that is the optimum way to go. If you're trying to explore how should we be building really all high-performance houses, they lead here. And I think one of the main reasons for that is because everything is based around building physics, whereas quite often houses might just be put up because they like the look of them or this or that. They don't actually think much about what are you actually doing. So this really thinks about everything that is happening to the building. And it has some quite exciting benefits that we'll come on to. But let's just go through what makes it a passive house and, and how it's different. And normally it does depend a little bit where you are in the world, but I'll just stick to sure. in the Northern Hemisphere. It normally means when we're um, in a UK climate, perhaps quite a bit more insulation than we used to. We're trying to make them draft-free, so eliminating as many air leaks as we can. There are also things called thermal bridges that, as I mentioned, if you just go and build a house, you will probably build a thermal bridge into it because you haven't thought about it. And that's just like a, a highway for heat or cool to transfer from inside to outside and outside to inside. So you're trying to reduce that as much as is possible. Mm. You also need really good con quality components, things like windows, doors. They're normally triple glazed. They cost a lot more, unfortunately, but they are lovely. I love the house, the, uh, the windows and doors that we've got in my new house. Just fantastic. <laughs> And another big thing, we're talking about using that free heat from the sun. So the actual orientation of the house is very, very important too, as much for when you're in summer as, as winter, because things like a, a simple design feature like an overhang can stop high sunshine coming into the house when you don't want it in the summer. But as soon as it gets low, it allows it in. So that's really clever. You're just aiming for this environment that's just going to be good all round, not overheating in the summer and, you know, too hot in the winter. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you can get, you got underfloor heating and all the rest of it. And the other vital component, the one thing I haven't mentioned is that normally you'll have a mechanical ventilation system. So that is what's bringing in your fresh air. But the clever bit is, so it brings in the fresh air, you get rid of the stale air, but it doesn't lose the heat unless you choose that that's what you want. So you're, keeping all of that energy. Whereas on the whole, it just, in our houses, they're so leaky, you heat the house up, all the energy goes back out again, you heat it up again, and you're just in this constant cycle. Well, really with this, you shouldn't need to put much heat in because the heat can't escape. It's really interesting that I did read a little bit about that and um, the mechanical ventilation side of things. Could you just talk a little bit more about, um, you mentioned it can, it, it can keep the same temperature, but how would you reduce the temperature how does that work then a little bit more well on the whole you don't it's just right. something that you will live with that it's going to be about 20 degrees okay and actually that's something very very desirable because what yeah. it means is you don't have any 
cold patches as you warm, walk around the house. You might know that it gets really cold when you walk to the window and yeah. then you can just feel, oh, it's freezing here. Well, that just doesn't happen in a passive house. Everything is nice and even. So if you've got a big room, then that's one of the big advantages. Normally, you might not want to do that because you have to have 10 radiators in the room. <laughs> or, you know, you won't have to have many radiators and it's going to feel lovely and even. I think there is a point here. Let's say you designed a passive house that had a cellar. So it's got a, a basement down there, perhaps a concrete basement. Yeah. And you've got a first floor and a second floor. It's not all going to be exactly 20 degrees. Heat does rise. You can't sort of push it down to the bottom. So mm. Um, that's one of the things to bear in mind, but we're just talking fractionally. Okay. Super interesting. Um, and a question I've just thought of now anyway, is like the length of time to plan for a passive house project. Like what's for, for the average size house in the UK, what would you say is the length of time to plan for a build from the beginning to the end? Would you say? I think it would be very, very similar to any other house. Right. You're just dealing with people who know what they're doing. That's the main difference. And I think a top tip just about plugging into experience. Don't try and build a passive house with nobody who's done it before. <laughs> Get one person on board who just knows how to do it and can do it with their eyes closed. I mean, with a passive house, you have to consider literally from the foundations, right? And um, But can you can you change an existing house into a passive house and what if you can how would you do it yeah it's a lot harder i know you're all about renovating and doing this and yes you you can that is the bottom line it's exactly the same principles but you've got to think about what you're doing to make it a passive house that also doesn't change so you've got to have continuous insulation all the way around the building so when my house was being built for example i know that they put in what would it be i don't know let's say 50 centimeters of insulation underneath me now you imagine that walking into the property that you're going to renovate you've got to do exactly the same in that building that is a headache and so you really need to know what you're doing the other thing that you've got to be so careful about is moisture you don't want to trap moisture anywhere in the building Mm. and that's why i think the best thing i could say for this is go to people who've done it before again Um, there's a slightly less stringent standard called enefit purely for this reason It's, it's by the passive house institute as well but it's designed to make it not as rigorous um quite often with passive house you're just hitting a load of numbers to do with air tightness or it could be the the main one that you might have heard which is 15 kilowatt hours per meter squared per year as um what you're going to be using for your space heating demand um but yeah when you're doing a retrofit it's much tougher so there's a good book called residential retrofit 20 case studies by mariam barley and i reckon we should put that into the show notes because absolutely as yeah she's nailed it there about some of the challenges that you're going to face. Yes, you can do it. Probably the, the, the cost thing might run away. That's the other thing. You've got unknowns, haven't you, when you renovate? Yes, you definitely have. Yeah. But yeah, it's possible. Good. Okay. Um, so some of the things that come to mind for me when someone I'm trying to describe a passive house, I would say uh, as a novice, as a, as a new person to this, I would probably say simple design, spacious, light and airy and comfortable. But could you just tell us a bit more about the other benefits of living in a passive house? Yeah, sure. And I think the top one is comfort. You say light and airy. It's very, very difficult to sense this comfort until you have experienced it. Mm. So that is the main thing that 
just having no drafts, it's such a benefit. And the other thing is that when you're having mechanical ventilation, some people don't like it, and I totally understand that. You know, not everyone's going to go down this route, but it does allow you actually to have a healthy environment because you're constantly bringing in fresh air. You're not going to get any condensation on the windows. We've talked about energy efficiency being one of the things that this ends up naturally producing because you're using 90% less of the energy to heat your house because you're tapping into the sun, you're using incidental heat like your body heat or cooking or Mm. anything like that in the house. So it's just, it all makes sense. And I personally think that it's going to become more and more important for resilience. So you think of when we had a really hot summer heat wave around the world Buildings can get really hot and sometimes you go to a hot climate and you'll see that they've built them in a certain way that perhaps they don't have many windows or they can just pull shutters down in in front of it. Well, it's exactly the same thing with the passive house because it's insulated really well and that can work both in winter and in summer. So as long as you have some way of either you built into your design, you're not going to get the sun's rays into the house at that point of the year or you can have external shading that you can put down. Sometimes people have these electric ones. And that's that's a massive benefit to be, you'll be inside at 20 degrees when everyone's got their house at 30 degrees. And the one other one that's just sprung into mind is they're quiet because of all that insulation. Maybe you're building near a busy road. You won't even hear that road. So those are the main benefits, low running costs, comfort, health, fresh air, resilience, quiet. It's hard to say no, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, this is why I'm so behind it. And I don't like to go completely over the top until I'm living inside a, a passive house. But I do think it sells itself. Is, is, a, is building a passive house affordable? Like if we could compare it to an average common build, um, what are the additional costs you think you, people need to consider? Yeah, you're not comparing like for like. That is the biggest problem here. Because if you think of all those things that we've just yeah. talked about, those benefits, yeah. don't get those in a normal house. This is the next generation of housing. So that's the mm. first thing. But we can we can pretend that they're like by like. And I reckon around about 15% more. But then you're also getting more. If you think about it, you've got more insulation in the building. You've got better quality windows. You've got a ventilation system. So you are buying more as well. Um, I suppose you could flip that around and say, perhaps you don't have as many radiators in the house because you just don't need them upstairs in our new house. We've only got a couple of radiators. That's it for the whole house. And it's quite a big house. Um, so yeah, there are, there are definitely things like that. Um, how much does it cost? Well, there's another way of looking at it. I say 15%. Some people might say 10%. Some people might even go 5%. But it's really how you approach it. So you could work backwards. And this really helps the bigger the building gets. Perhaps we're steering away from housing here for a second. But you imagine you know what makes a passive house. Well, let's start with the end in mind. Yes, we know we need the insulation. Yes, we know we need the mechanical ventilation, the components, all of these things. So you take those out of the budget right at the beginning because you're going to need them. And then whatever money you're left with, you build the school, whatever it it might be. And there are definitely, not many, but a couple of architects that say you can get it for exactly the same cost because just that different way of thinking. Yeah. I I guess it's the point of, you have to think about that you're investing more upfront if you you are, but in the long run, um, you're investing in your home, right? So 
you're going to save on, on, on costs that you will incur later on. Yeah. And if you think yeah. of your heating bill, that's, I'm hoping, I, I don't want to say so yet, but I'm hoping we just barely have a heating bill. We, we could have installed something like an air source heat pump, but actually because we're in a village, um, we thought it might be handy. We're not going to use much gas. It's going to be a lot less than all of our neighbors. So we'll just connect to the main supply. Maybe down the road, we can switch over if we really need to. Sure. Um, but yeah, we're just going to see how it goes. I, I was looking online actually, and I, I, I watched a quick video on Passive uh, House, and um, there was a, a lady talking about seven pounds for a, for a heating bill, seven pounds mm-hmm. um, uh, for for a quarter, and I, I found that absolutely amazing. Just yeah, stopped. yeah. The other thing, when they get quite small, the Passive Houses, um, so long as they're not overheating, mm. they actually the incidental heat is so uh, such a big part that. Yeah, they often don't even switch on their heating systems at all. That's why the bills are so low. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. Um, Let's talk a bit more about the technology and the materials used to create a passive house and the products that homeowners or developers need to um, invest in or what they're investing. The other part of this is what's the future with this development? What's new and what's coming? Hmm. I was thinking about this because there's one good thing about trying to reach the passenger house standard that it doesn't discriminate. For example, my house is a masonry build and that's the the oldest form of building there is, you know, something that shouldn't even be around now. So there's, there's that side of things that it's not saying you have to build it in any particular way. But having gone through this process and being able to witness it myself, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to build masonry is because I hadn't seen it before and I thought it would just be intriguing. There's some thermal mass there. But you look at, I think the system approach is what will be very clever in the future. And we've done a lot of filming on a, a system called PH15 from Passive House Homes. And it's obviously, as the name suggests, it's designed for Passive House. So it's very simple. It uses OSB Jurelis board and tapes and all the rest of it, but you've got all the structure and strength in there, yet it's incredibly easy. It uses I-beams, goes up like nobody's business. And I think what they've been very clever about is not reinventing the wheel. So it has a number of construction details that come with this kit. And quite often you'll go to an architecture firm and every time they'll be redoing the construction details. Mm. So this is saying, don't do that. Let's make these really, really simple. Use all of these. And I think that that, if we could somehow embrace this simplicity, this is where Passive House, for whatever reason, seems to lead you in this direction to trying to build something that's more simple, that in a way I think is in line with the environment, the environment and um, my initial aims. It's just all very, very interesting. Amazing. It does. It really does sound like, you know, I, I want to go and look into this a little bit more and study this because it's a, it's to, it's a total new area for me. Well, it's, come and visit as well. Next time you're here in the UK, come and stay because I think that's the best way is to just experience it yourself. And then it will normally, also, if you've done it a few times, been to different ones, you can compare because quite often I do a lot of filming just in construction in general. Yeah. And people say, oh, I built this great eco home, this, that. And you go in there and it's completely overheating upstairs because they've got the underfloor heating on down. And this is not the same thing. It's very, very different. It's a very subtle heat. I'm imagining I might be wearing my shorts 
a lot of the, <laughs> but it's, yeah, you, you said it earlier, light and airy. And I think a lot of people that set out to build eco homes, they perhaps power in with the eco bling and just don't realize what it is that might deliver them what they want. So simplicity again. I'm definitely going to take you up on that offer. Hey guys, it's James. Getting on the property ladder these days can be really, really tough. And with all of the advice on the internet, how can you be sure that you're getting the right advice? The guys at MakeMyMortgage.co.uk are super amazing. They're friendly and they offer down-to-earth advice. But most important, they offer a wide range of lending options. So if you're planning to buy your first home, buy to let, or just flip a property, MakeMyMortgage.co.uk are the ones for you. For your free consultation, go to makemymortgage.co.uk forward slash podcast. Now let's get back to today's show. Let's talk about your house. Mm. And um, I mean, we've spoken before, I think about six months ago, but um, tell us about it. Well, the actual size of the house, I think is quite interesting because if you want to be properly eco, you need to build a small house. And one thing that we discovered on our journey is it's hard to find land or it was where we wanted it. You know, the, the right to build register hadn't come into play at that point, although there was something similar that we put our names down for and never heard anything. So I would say the actual size of the house, which is quite big, we've got a floor area of 226 square meters, was actually driven by the site that we bought, which is half an acre. It's in a village just outside Hartford, which is where I live at the moment. But the house, we just wanted it to be a nice family home. If we were going to go bigger, one key design guiding principle that I learned from a lady called Sarah Suzanka out in the States was to use all of the space every day. And we've done that as much as we possibly can. There will be a guest room that I imagine won't be used every day, but all the rooms otherwise will be used every single day. Um, so that's one reason we've gone with quite a big open plan kitchen diner area and there's a little snug on the other side to lock the kids if they <laughs> <laughs> watch tv or anything like that and it's just been a fascinating process to go through this and um, see for myself having witnessed a lot of other builds in this time since I left the media to then come and do my own as I was saying before we started this that um, it's just a bit surreal it doesn't feel like it's my house it almost feels like it's a project that I'm about to hand over to someone else yeah yeah but it's because you're, you're you've been doing it for quite some time now as well yeah. and you're yeah, yeah. that's exactly it that it does go on a long time and I think I'm feeling a little bit of the fatigue certainly not like I know some people have done and they've told me about that but because our build has been so quick in comparison it's been about nine months we're all ready to go. Everything's been done. I haven't done anything. I didn't want to do anything. This was the other thing that we have a young family. I've got a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And just at that stage in my life, I don't want to be the project manager or anything like that. In fact, that's a very good tip, actually, if you can afford it. Just be the client. Yeah, just enjoy it. Just enjoy yeah. the journey. Definitely try to enjoy it. That's hard because when you've got a young family business, time is obviously going to be the key pressure. But I, I think I've done as much as I possibly can to try and just sit back sometimes, go to site, think, wow, this, you know, this has come on such a long way. Because it's great. It doesn't, it doesn't last for that long in your lifetime. You might as well try and be there for as much of the build as possible. And it's always amazing when they say, oh, yeah, while you're on site, can I ask you this question? 
I mean, you, you've already said this is your first house and, um, and especially built into the passive house standard. Um, how, like, and you've already said about how the journey has been, but have you had any struggles along with the project? Like it must be one thing, right? Because everyone's thinking this is too good to be true. Yeah, I was thinking that the the struggles haven't been too bad for us. It, it's been tough with young children when you miss out on a night's sleep and then you've got loads of things to do for the house. That's definitely up there. The other thing is when we initially bought the piece of land, it was very complicated. There'd been a lot of history on this piece. It was three different deeds and just oh, quite a headache <laughs> to just get your head around. What are we actually buying here? Do we know what we're doing? But I think just spending the time, just, you know, keeping on going over and over, uh, trying to do your own research when, when, you know, just to get yourself comfortable, speak to the neighbors, all this sort of thing. And yeah. that just helped bring things together. Um, but yeah, since then we've had loads of little things. I could give you an example. We still don't have a water supply and okay. so stupid that I think even on day one, we started doing the services and it was all booked in. Everything's fine. And they had to close the main road outside to connect the gas and to um, connect us into the drainage, all of that. But the water company said, oh, no, our, our main is in the pavement. So that's fine. Okay, well, you know what you're doing. So the road closure went through. And then, ah, they dig out the pavement. It's not there. <laughs> this is after. I mean, it couldn't have been beforehand, could it, when we got this road closure coming up? That would have been too uh, easy. Uh, that would have been way too easy. Organising a road closure, of course, there's loads of things that need to happen, time that needs to pass, and they need to advertise it. So we're hoping we've got a connection date. It's very close to when we move in, which is probably a danger thing. We've handed in our notice on the rental property and we don't have an effective plan B if this all goes wrong. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll learn from our mistake. Gosh, f- fingers crossed, Ben, fingers crossed. Thank you, James. Um, so, and it's turned out how you wanted it pretty much, right? Yeah, almost exactly. This is exactly what I expected. It's funny sometimes I'm, I'm in all sorts of different forums and Facebook groups. Yeah. yeah. These hideous stories. And I think one benefit I did have because of what I've ended up doing, I mentioned filming in the construction industry, I've got to know people quite well. And the people that we've hired, three different people really, the architecture firm, the builder, mm. and the interior designer, they're all people that I really, really trust. And I, I think that that has just come a long way, whereas you see all these things going horribly wrong. Yeah. It hasn't really, and the building looks like it did having visualizations beforehand. Doesn't you know, You're not looking at 2D where you can't quite visualize what it's going to be. We had a 3D model built and we could go inside the building all of those sorts of things so yes yeah, what we're expecting what it's going to feel like to live inside because of course you've designed it i'm hoping you know my mind i'm constantly in there thinking this is how i'm going to live in there yeah but yeah it, it should work I, I think it is even now as it's come together you're walking around the house thinking how you're going to live in it are you still there hello can you hear me ah, yes yes you just faded out a bit then okay um if it's got, I mean, let me try and put this. So because you're in this industry, I would probably be thinking that our listeners are saying that you probably knew the questions to ask um, and and the considerations that you need to make. And I believe in any construction, in any project, when people try to take it on themselves, 
Um, would you perhaps agree with me that um, they've probably ended up down um, down a hole because they've not asked the right questions at the right at the right time, or or they've tried to cut corners in in certain areas where it is actually important to to spend the money. Well, there's something to say here that we have been guided by our architecture firm. I know the boss of the firm very well. And, you know, I've just allowed them to get on with what they do. You know, perhaps it's not the most ecologically sound building that we would have liked, Mm -hmm. but I always knew that they're very familiar with delivering this. They do it their own way. They're doing it masonry, which was something I was very keen to, to learn about. So, it's just been fascinating to see how it's come together. And you can look at, I mean, they produce all sorts of drawings yeah, that are very, very detailed. And you can read through all the notes. But for a first time like me, there's no way that you can understand it 100% until you have seen it happen out there and that you're, you're in the midst of it. So yeah. I think I would... I don't know whether I would I'd do some of the, the different roles, like try and project manage it. I think the only reason I would ever do that is to feel what it's like, to, to feel what the work is. I feel like we've been shielded from a lot of the hard stuff. We just yeah. don't even know about it because they're taking care of it. It's their job. They're yeah. making it happen. Yeah. Uh, but that has added to it being a very enjoyable experience. Okay. Yeah. Um, so how much does it all cost? Well, the bill cost is going to come in at around about five fifty, I think, in the end. So, okay. quite a bit of cash, and it started out. I think it was we were hoping to do it for four hundred thousand, but something quite interesting happened there. That I think it just coincided with lots of things like Brexit, um, materials, labour going up. Our architecture firm are based in Norfolk. And I think some things like we mentioned road closures are just cheaper up there. And yeah. down here, I'm much more uh, part of London. So there are there is that to factor in as well. So there were all these sorts of things. When we got the tenders back, there was one tender for, it was nearly £900,000. And you can imagine this was, there's a, we did a podcast actually where I was opening up the tenders and getting the shot firsthand. And that, you know, you can hear my jaw drop on the table. <laughs> We were able to work with the lowest bid. You know, this is, I'm sure, something you have talked about. But yeah. that's the good thing. If you're going to go with the lowest bid, so long as you trust everyone you've selected, that is, that's one good thing. So we were able to value engineer a bit and bring that price down to something that we could afford. It's a tricky one, though, value engineering, because they produced a spreadsheet of absolutely everything so that we could bring it down to about 450,000. You just end up taking away from the project, all the the fun things that you wanted to have in it. Yeah. I think that's a real danger that when you do try and reduce the value, you find yourself putting these things back in. (laughs) It's a, yeah, it's a question of how far can you go? Right. Because when people look at it, if if I've made a hundred thousand savings there, how far can I push it even more? And you do get carried away. And I think um, if you're designing a house and you're doing something complex like this and you're planning to live in it probably for 20, 30, 40 years, uh, you know, definitely don't take away everything that you dreamed of. This is the thing. Is, uh, I think people do, do, do get carried away sometimes. It's definitely a balance because, of course, you've got money to bear in mind. And what you don't want to do is just lumber yourself so that you hate the house because you're mortgaged up to high heaven. Yeah. Uh, 
So there is a balancing act, but also I think we're going to have a lovely house. I'm, I'm so, so happy. And I just, I, I can't wait to, you know, one of the, the things they talk about riches, don't they? But just to share this with others, you know, like saying to you, come yeah. and we've never had a house and we could have afforded to have a bigger house, but we purposely kept ourselves in small houses to just try and save up cash. And, um, yeah, it'll be such a blessing to be able to say to people, look, you know, you want to learn how to build this, come and stay or come and have a bite to eat, come and have dinner, have a look around, see how this house has developed. I'm really looking forward to that. Fantastic. I mean, I would love to be able to put a picture of the house maybe, um, on, on our blog as well for people to look. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do that. Perfect. Okay, well, let's just finish off with um, what's your five top tips that you'd recommend any of our listeners that are considering to build a passive house? Okay, there are all sorts of things that you could mention here, but I think one of them I want to underline again, I might have mentioned it 10, 15 minutes ago, and that is about visiting passive houses. It's quite important. There's a thing called Passive House Open Days that the Passive House Trust in the UK organise. It's actually a worldwide event. So if you go via the International Passive House Association's website, then you can go to your country if you're listening elsewhere. And that will just allow you to ask questions to the owners sometimes they have their architects there as well on these open days. Just such a great event. Happens twice a year. Normally, November is one of them and the other one is something like July. I think they're trying to show you what it's like in the summer and the winter. Just get those two polar opposites. Yeah. The other thing is about making sure that you've got experience on your team. It's one thing for someone to say, oh, I know how to build a passive house but very, very different if they have done it themselves and all the better if they've done it multiple times. That will just, you almost have a bit of confidence that nothing will go wrong. For example, this company that I've hired, they were one of the first people in the UK to design passive houses and they probably have over a hundred, maybe more than that, that they've built now. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons why I wanted to put some faith in them. I think there's... An element here that don't listen to other people. This is another tip who haven't done it. So it's very easy to get swayed off. Oh, well, passive house is very much, it's tied down to numbers. So you've got to hit certain numbers. We talked about uh, kilowatt hours and there's an air tightness target. And some people along the line, perhaps because you might be speaking to different people who provide components, they might dissuade you. Oh, you don't need to go that far or just tone it down a little bit. And there's something in this that if you, still take a building physics approach and you're still using a modeling package to work out everything about your house. Because the spreadsheet called PHPP that they do for the house is just unbelievable. It would give me a headache trying to fill one of those out. But if you go down that route, yes, perhaps you could take your foot off the gas a bit. But I just quite like the fact that it's a hurdle to be passive house standard and you can tell whether any house meets that. You've got to put in all sorts of evidence. So I quite like that, but don't get dissuaded. I've met too many people who have been, and I think sadly, um, the houses are never quite as good as they could have been. Money has just got spent elsewhere. Okay. Overheating is quite an interesting one because you're sealing up a house. So you've got to be really sure that you're not going to overheat in the summer or else you're a lovely, comfortable house in winter and you get to summer and it's just sweltering. Of course, you can open windows and do things like that. But I would just say it is possible to design the overheating risk down because Passive House actually 
it comes up with its own definition for what overheating is. And it's something like if your house goes over 25 degrees and it can do that for 10% of the year. And I think best practices, you never, no, never even want to, 10% is the absolute worst case scenario that you'd, <laughs> you'd go for it still to be a passive house. You'd want 5%. But looking at our case, we've got it down to zero. So that's a big difference. If you can always try and get your overheating risk down, and that's one of the big advantages of doing this passive house planning package, you can see when it's going to overheat. Um, East and West glazing are often to blame. Our West glazing, I think, is very, very small. So that's all good. But the other thing is, if you have got an overheating risk and it ends up being 7%, 10%, then maybe it's time to think of some electronic blinds on the outside because then it's in your hands that you can control it. I think it's always nice if the building can do the work without some electric box. But if you're worried at all, then that would be something to think about. And then finally, just choosing a passive house system. I mentioned how you can do it through any construction system, but I think actually it becomes easier if it's something that is designed to build a passive house, then there are companies that can just sort out a shell for you straight away. They'll uh, say, yeah, we can guarantee that air tightness for you. We'll do this first bit and then you take over with the fit out. Fantastic. Okay. Um, and how can people get in touch with you? I've, I've just looked at your website. So, um, and I think it's amazing. You've got so much information on this. So how can people get in touch with you? Well, the website that I set up six years ago is called houseplanninghelp.com. And it's all about me chatting to green building experts and fellow self-builders. People have got to the end of their journey. So that's how we've got all the information on that website, more or less. It doesn't come from any other source, just chatting to people, trying to find out best practice, and then reading between the lines a little bit. And then interwoven into this is my whole story. So if you delve back into the archive, you will hear me going through plot after plot saying, I've, I've put some, um, you know, we're really hopeful that we're going to get this piece of land. And then the next podcast uh, reveal, or actually we got outbid. It didn't happen. So you get all the drama going along. And one of the funny things was when I started the podcast, I always used to say, uh, it's my goal to build an energy efficient home before I turn 40 in August, 2016. And when that came around August, 2016, I had done nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing. So I've been trying, but the land is such a a critical part of the process. You can't move on without it. And the funny thing was I got turned 40 and then very almost the next day found the piece of land and then things got going and then it's happened quite quickly since then. As if it's meant to be. Time does move quick though. Yes, it does. But yeah, I'm looking forward for my family. I think that's going to be the key thing. Any house really, whether it's a renovation project or a new build, it's about the family. So It'll be very exciting to make it our home now. It's a great achievement, Ben, seriously. And I'm looking forward to seeing it. Thank you, James. Yeah, come over. Let me know. Will do. <laughs> ben, bring your bags. Thank you very much for coming on to the Property Renovation Podcast. Good stuff. Cheers. If you're planning a renovation or you're moving into your first new home, then the Akiva Toolkit could be the solution you need. With its easy-to-use package of 10 documents, you are able to manage time, budget, and the communication between your builders and you to ensure the project is complete to satisfaction first time round. The Akiva Toolkit saves you money and time. It's for the first-time renovator and the renovator that wants to do things better the second time round. 
It's a fraction of the cost compared to paying for mistakes or repeating work that's already done. Go to akivatoolkit.com and get your project off to a perfect start today.